Praise the name of the Lord. I'm living in the overflow. <clears throat> it's good to have all of you here. And <clears throat> I, we have been, we just finished in hyphen studying the book of Corinthians. Of course, it is written by Paul. And I was, uh, of course, talking to this group that comes, and we call it hyphen Bible study. It's open to anyone, any age, any time. It is not a, an exclusive. We call it hyphen Bible study because really technically um, it was some hyphen students and uh, Sister Jessica, now Hall, that wanted to learn more about the Bible and um, she was post when she asked and, and then word kind of spread and they were having hyphen and they uh, started in uh, asking questions, asking Bible questions and so I told them we would meet and we have been now for uh, two or three years and I don't, I'm not even sure and just sort of studying the Bible where, wherever they want to go and uh, kind of trying to <clears throat> go through the word in depth and looking at verses and, and uh, most of them uh, we're trying to, uh, we went through all of Revelation, some of those got lost, some people wanted those, I apologize. I'm going to have to redo some of those lessons because they sort of got misplaced, but we, we try to give a handout and we try to record all the lessons. So anybody can watch them. It's not, uh, as I said, it's not an exclusive, but I am thankful that they wanted to grow. And, and this group of young folks, and many of them are uh, involved, and as I said, others are coming as well, but they want to grow in strength, grow in knowledge, grow in, you know, um, sort of producing the fruit of the Spirit. And we, we do these Bible studies, apostolic, and we have a great history of Bible studies and teaching Bible studies, and uh, many folks came in through the Bible studies, and we will tailor still, tailor make a home Bible study <clears throat> for you, whether it's a one hour, two hour, a 10 week, a 12 week. Uh, we will do whatever we can to let you see the word of the Lord. Not, nothing in the Bible is off limits. We are, are willing to answer any Bible question. We're, try, we're willing to try to look at every verse, try to pull it apart, ex explain it, understand it. And I think it's vital in this hour that we do have uh, the knowledge of the Word of God. And so I'm thankful that we have such a great history, and yet here we are uh, still doing Bible study. But one of the phrases that I have seen in the writings of Paul is this phrase, hold fast. Everybody say, hold fast. Hold fast. And if there was ever a time we need to hold fast. It's today. And you remember the hang, hang in there kitty uh, that's on the, on the rope. And we've all seen some picture form of that, you know, where the little kitty is hanging on for dear life and holding fast, just trying his best to hang in there. And I know that 
we often use that, you know, hang in there, hold on, and we say those words, and yet uh, I want you to understand what Paul specifically said about those words. And actually, I'm going to then wrap it up, hopefully, by telling you what Jesus said about holding on, because Paul talked about uh, hold fast. And and to fully understand Paul, and I have tried my best in teaching in uh, this group um, to explain to them who Paul was and how, how, um, how much of a radical change Paul had in his life. And I think sometimes we forget that. Paul was not uh, he was not raised to be the leader of the Christian church. He was not raised to go to Rome and preach the gospel. He was not raised. He was raised as a Pharisee, as a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was so zealous about what he believed that it was not beyond the pale of his experience to persecute people that should be more staunch in their Judaism. And we know that in fact, he was the one that stood there and they brought Stephen's coat to him when they stoned him. Paul was carrying letters on the road to Damascus in order to say to them, uh, we want to kill any Jew that is, is sort of drifting out of Judaism into this newfangled uh, apostolic thing that happened on the day of Pentecost. And he was, you know, the Bible records how hard it was for Simon Peter to be willing to go to a Gentile's house. Now, Simon Peter was not raised as a Pharisee. Simon Peter was raised as a fisherman. And, you know, fishermen uh, have, you know, no real sense of, you know, whoever wants to buy my fish, uh, I'll sell it to them. And they, you know, it wasn't like I'm going to only sell to Jews. I'm going to only sell to, you know, if a Roman soldier came up, he might double his money. And uh, I've, I've often felt that. And we've traveled, you know, in uh, countries and they didn't have the price on the merchandise. I've often wondered, you know, do they sell it to me at the same price they're selling it to uh, if I spoke Spanish or Hebrew or whatever the country we in. You know, or do they look at me and go, you don't know any better. That'll be a dollar. <laughs> you know. And uh, somebody else comes in and they uh, speak uh, whatever the language is and they're obviously from the country and uh, you know, they can buy it for 15 cents and I just paid a dollar for it. And I, so you know, it's like Simon Peter had to have three count them on your fingers, three visions from God to go preach to Cornelius and his household. And so finally uh, he went. And Paul would have been more staunch than that. So yet when, and I, I mentioned it Sunday night, when the light knocked Paul down he was in the process of going to Damascus. Ha, ha, ha. You know, get rid of the mask. 
Um, when the light knocked him down, what was amazing is he got up trembling and he was overwhelmed and he said, Who art thou, Lord? And um, <clears throat> the voice said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. You're going to be the preacher to the Gentiles. And it so transformed him. He so embraced that thinking and that theology that that voice so shook him that he was willing to go through all kinds of things for the gospel. And I just looked at a couple of chapters, Acts 19, Acts 20, and wanted you to kind of see what Paul suffered and what Paul went through. In, in Acts 19, for three months, he was trying to persuade and dispute and argue the kingdom of God. And what happened to the people? The more he preached, how did they respond? Their hearts got harder. They got more angry. You ever felt that way? You know, the more you invite, the more you want folks to come, the harder they get. Okay. Uh, and they started speaking evil. And so he left them there. That's in Acts, the 19th chapter. He, he left them at, after three months. Well, he doesn't go far and he is in Macedonia and there uh, Timothy and Erastus come and he stayed in Asia for a season and guess what happened? When he left one place, he went another, he caused another controversy. People got upset. People got angry. People got frustrated. They didn't want to hear him. <clears throat> and finally, the Bible says in Acts 19, they, they, when they heard these things, they were full of wrath. When he was there in Ephesus, and they said, great, he, the silversmiths got mad. You remember? And, and it caused the whole city to be full of confusion. And they rushed, you know, they, they were going to kill him. They rushed him. And some of his brethren said, don't go in there because they're going to kill you. And the whole assembly was in a riot state. Some cried one thing, some were crying another, some were saying, and these silversmiths weren't all Jews. You go on down in the 19th chapter, and they, the people try to reason with them and say, please don't speak rashly, don't do anything, please be quiet, don't, don't go nuts. For we are in danger to be called in question for today's, this day's uproar. Has anybody ever been called into question for a riot taking place? Maybe they didn't even start it, but Paul got... Imagine, I know, you know, whether you like Trump, don't like Trump, whether you like... George Floyd or don't like George Floyd or what? I mean, all of a sudden a riot gets, happens and imagine you're the one they're after. The chaos of the city. That's what Paul went through. And this was all because of the gospel. 
was all because he preached and taught that Jesus came and died for your sins. And these last verses, it says 19, but it's actually chapter 20. Acts of 20th chapter, 18 and 19, verse 22 and 24 of the same chapter 20. When they were come to him, they said unto him, from the first day you came into Asia, what manner I have been with you in all seasons, serving the Lord with humility and with many tears and temptation. I mean, Paul cried himself. I, you know, imagine the frustration trying to get people to do right. And yet he says, and that's it, supposed to be chapter 20, verse 22, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, knowing that there's going to be things that are going to happen to me. And that bonds and afflictions abide with me. And yet none of these things move me. Neither count my life dear unto myself that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord to testify the gospel of the grace of God. When you read what Paul went through, and that's not to count when he was shipwrecked and whenever people, all, all these things, Yet, what does he encourage the believers to do? Get a grip and hold fast. And if Paul realized that going through all that he's going through, he had to get a grip, how much more should we recognize in this world and with all the chaos and all the stuff and all the things that are happening, you got to hold fast. What he told the church in Thessalonica, he says, prove all things, hold fast that which is what? Huh? It's good. You're going to have to focus on the good in this hour. There is enough craziness, enough bad, enough people that are angry, enough people that are frustrated, enough people that, I don't understand, I, this, this offends me, that offends me. Huh? Another place Paul said, whatsoever things are pure, lovely, good report, any virtue, any praise, what are you supposed to do? At some point, you got to get up every day. Thank God. Thank you, Lord. I'm still in my right mind. Thank you, Lord. Say, well, some days I don't feel like I'm in my right mind. Well, I understand. But at some point, you got to hold fast to that which is good. You have to be able to say, you know what? As Paul said, forgetting those things in their past, I press toward the mark. I have to grab hold of something good. This is the day the Lord hath made. I will arise and re rejoice, be glad. You say, well, pastor, I don't have much good in my life. I mean, hello. 
when you read all the medical reports and you hear that, you know, here's this person and they got the virus and they passed away and here's somebody else and they've never had it and here's somebody else and they, we have a lot of good. You can say, well, it's, you know, this didn't happen and that didn't happen. I, I get it, but at, at some point he said, hold fast that which is good. When he wrote his second letter to him, he said, Hold, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or epistle. There's something about things you've been taught to do. And you say, well, you know, <clears throat> I'm going to figure out my own way of doing things. I, I'm going to tell you, in this hour, Lord, I, I don't, you know, you say, well, they're just traditions. Well, at some point you hold on to whatever traditions you have. If you, well, I got up and had prayer, or I, I read the Bible, or I didn't have any. Well, make some traditions. We know we should pray. We know we should fast. We know, I, I, I mean, I will tell you many, 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 many years ago, I, I don't, I don't even know if I was married when our church started a thing where we were going to do Wednesday fast day. And I don't know how many years. My mother, you know, it didn't matter if we were traveling. It didn't matter. Well, she was gonna not going to eat on Wednesday. It became part of, okay, that's my fast day. And I know you reach a point, you take medicine, okay, well, I'll just eat a cracker. I'm not going to eat a couple crackers or a piece of toast. I'm not going to eat a full breakfast. Why? I, that's something that I do. Why, why do you, you say, well, is that important? Is that necessary? Is that, Paul said, at some point in time, what you've been taught, what you've read, what you've heard, I, I think it's important to go, especially what Paul was saying, hey, I need to engraft that into my mind and spirit and heart, and I need to hold on to that. And this is an hour in which, you know, <clears throat> we don't have traditions anymore. But, you know, it's everything, every man is whatever to himself, a law unto himself. He told Titus, Paul did, hold fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he might be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. And that's one of the reasons why Bible study, understanding the word of God. You say, I don't need all of that. I, you know, if I feel like it, if I like it. No, hang on to some doctrine. Hang on to the doctrine. Find out what the Bible says. What is doctrinally correct? We're living in an hour when, when doctrine doesn't matter. I, you know, it's like, I don't care how they baptize. I don't care whether they preach that you should have the Holy Ghost, but they have a nice program for soccer moms, and I'm a soccer mom. And I'm like, wow. Well, they have a grief class, and I want to go to the grief class. And I, I'm thankful for all of those things that are out there. But in this hour, doctrine is an important issue. What do they believe? Now you may say, well, 
doesn't matter. I, I mean, th the truth of the matter is, in, in our world today, you know, and, and I'm, not, I'm not attacking any nation or country, but if, if someone does not practice, listen to me carefully, Judeo-Christian values, I didn't say religion, but values, I don't, I can't, you can't trust them. Because Judeo-Christian values believe that there is a God. God is the giver of life. God is the ultimate judge. I have free will to choose what I want. There's a judgment day that's coming. You, and there are, you know, seven, eight more beliefs. But I'm going to tell you, if I don't value life and I don't believe, then I can take your life and not feel bad about it. If I don't believe there is an ultimate judge, if all they're going to do is throw me in a hole, then I can do anything I want. And we find folks, you know, that, well, I'm going to, I think all roads, I think anybody, doesn't matter what they believe. It does matter. And that's where doctrine becomes very important. What do you believe? What do you believe about life? What do you believe about a judge? What do you believe about moral law? Because I don't care what society legalizes. So, well, if society says it's okay, then it's got to be okay. Oh, really? Society has said smoking was okay for a long time. Society said, I can go through the list. I, I read an article that came across my phone today that they're doing some studies and just preliminarily they're, they're saying that it kind of looks like smoking pot on a regular basis causes anxiety and causes, and it goes through a list of all the disorders. Wow, you're kidding. You know, we had traditions, you know, and Unfortunately, the United Pentecostal Church in the 40s when, when they were, everybody was coming back from overseas smoking and everybody was dipping and everybody was, back in the 40s, United Pentecostal Church said, we say that you should not have, participate, have, out, have tobacco products. And it was at a time when it was like, why? That's crazy. And yet, because of the power of the Holy Ghost and people and, you know, they used to have songs. Some of y'all might remember the songs, you know? What was the one about you don't dip, you don't chew? God's got your number. Knows where you live. God's got his eye on you. You old cigarette smoker, you. 
They would slam somebody. I was a kid. I can. Ah, you old snuff dipper, you, you know. We try not to be that offensive today, and we try not to, you know, we understand the addictive power of some of those substances, and, and yet I'm going to just tell you that you need to be not brought under the power of any. You need to work on that. If you're still wondering whether or not, you say, well, preacher hadn't preached against dipping before, now here he is. Something about spit white, wasn't it? What was it? It was a song I can't remember. The old high heel wearer. We didn't even like that. The old open toe shoe wearer. Whatever. And I understand. Preachers preach against all kinds of things. Don't wear red. Don't wear whatever. You know? Because red was bad color. Here's my mother sitting in a red jacket. My Lord. Then somebody got up one time after a preacher preached all about wearing red and asked a lady to come. She said, I can't come. Why? Because I'm wearing red. The preacher just preached against it. He said, well, red birds sing, so you can come on. Wear <laughs> sing, because the red birds sing. I know, I know. We, you know we, okay, we were off track, and uh, people got off. And they, but at the, my point is, what are we trying to do? We're trying to keep yourself unspotted from the world. Yes. The Bible said, save yourself from this untoward. So as things change and as times change, I'm going to just be very candid with you. I don't own a pair of Nikes, but it's going to be hard for me to buy a pair now. I'm not even talking about the devil shoes. Huh? Why? Because it's like, oh man. For those of you who are concerned, I wear New Balance. If they came out with devil shoes, I'd have to find something else. But why do we do some of these things? Because we are trying to hold on to the faithful word of God. The Lord, your word. Everything else is a lie. The word forever settled in heaven. That's why we want to see is it in the word. We want that, uh, that understanding about the word. Paul told Timothy, and this was important, in the second book of Timothy, when Timothy was bound, you know, battling fear and anxiety and frustration, and he said, God had not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and all those things. Paul told Timothy in the first chapter, he said, for the which cause I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against the day. Hold fast the form of sound words. Sometimes that's all I can do is find a verse, find a passage, read it over and over, say it out loud. What am I doing? I'm holding on to the word of God. Lord, you never said. And I've, I've heard Sister Vicki, others testify. All of a sudden, I doctor comes in and the Lord gives me a word. And every day I quote that word. Every day I read that scripture. Every day I get up and say that word. What are you doing? I'm holding fast to the sound word of God. Don't ever hesitate. Don't feel bad. Grab a hold of the word, a scripture, and hang on. You say, well, 
What are you, why, why are you saying that? Because in this hour, he said, hold fast to those words and, and in faith and love, that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwells in us. It's when you have to stir up the gift of God, he told Timothy. In Hebrews, Paul said it like this, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we? If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm until the end. Uh, what's gonna, I don't know, but I know God is able. I don't know what will happen, King, but God is able. And I'm going to rejoice in the hope that I know God can do it. But are you, are you sure the, the doctor said, the lawyer said, the, yeah, and, and I, I get it. I, but I also know God. And I know that God's I believe he's the ultimate judge and he's not going to let me go before it's my time. I know a fool can die. I'm not talking about being foolish. I'm talking about though when your mind is under attack, you just grab hold and say, Lord, I'm going to thank you. I'm going to rejoice in you. I'm going to go down. I'm going to go out of here praising God because I have confidence till I take my last breath that you are still able. And I know that when I take my last breath, you are able to raise me out of the grave and put me part of the first church. He told him in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, that was the third chapter, the fourth chapter, he said, hold fast our profession, confession. You know, when, when the Lord's given you a word and you've said something and, you know, hang on to that. You know, Lord, hang on to that. We have a high priest and, and we know that he's touched with the feelings of our infirmities and we realize all of that. Later in the 10th chapter, three times to the... Hebrews, he said, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without, well, I know God can, but I really don't think it, I don't see how he's going to, I don't think he's going to. All I have to say is I know God can. I don't know. Sure, I don't know whether he will. But I know he can. I mean, when we prayed for folks in the hospital, some of which passed away, we, I still prayed and believed God is able. We're going to keep knocking. We're going to keep asking. We're going to keep believing without wavering. For he is faithful. And then it goes on to say, consider one another and provoke them Just provoke them. Provoke the daylights out of them. I'm good at that. No, he didn't say just provoke them. He said provoke them unto love and good works. So our job is to say, come on, you can do it. To encourage one another, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, exhorting one another. That means building up, encouraging 
So much the more as you see the day approaching. Why? Because I want to tell you something. And I, I, don't, I don't want to depress you, but I'm going to be honest with you. I don't care. This, this particular week, I, I can tell you that we, we have talked to New York. We've talked to Singapore. We've talked to Alaska. We've talked to um, uh, North Dakota. Any place else that we've talked to? People, preachers, ministers... And everybody is going through it in some form or another. And all I can do is say, hang in there. Oh, I forgot to Oklahoma. Talk to Oklahoma today. There's another one. What are you doing? I'm saying, come on, come on, hang in there. We can make it. Encouraging one another, exhorting one another. We can do this. You say, well, Pastor, I, I'm, I'm the only one going through it right here. Where, oh, really? So much the more as you see the day approaching. Hallelujah. All right. The last three times, uh, four times, actually, Jesus said in four different occasions to, in the book of Revelation, he these are red letter words and it was to different churches and Jesus went to the church at Pergamos, to the church at Thyatira, to the church at uh, Sardis and to the church at Philadelphia. He said, hold on to my name to the church at Pergamos, to the church at Thyatira, whatever you've been given, hold fast till I come. To the church at Sardis, he said, I want you to know that, you know, hang on to it. Said the hour's coming and you've received and what you've heard, remember it, hold fast and repent. That was to Sardis. Then last but not least to Philadelphia. He said, remember, city of brotherly love, what you've received and heard, hold fast, repent. What are you saying? This is an hour in which we're going to have to hold on. Hold on to what? Hold on to my faith. Hold on to... And how do you get more faith? Faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing by the Word. You're going to have to read the Bible more than you've ever read it. You're going to have to pray more than you've ever prayed. You're going to have to grab hold of the Word. You're going to have to have a song. You're going to have to song, have a song that you quote. You're going to have to quote it out loud. What are you doing? I am holding on. Sometimes by the skin of my teeth. Sometimes I feel like that hang in there, kitty. Like there's no bottom. You ever felt that way? But I'm here to tell you there is a God that's got the other end of the rope. He said, the writer said, in fact, that rope you're holding on to is anchored in the veil. which hope we have as an anchor for the soul. All I can do is say, Lord, pull me up into your presence. Stir up the gift of the Holy Ghost. What are we doing? I'm holding on. I don't know what else to do but to hang in there. I'm going to hold on. When you've done everything you can do, what did he say do? Stand. Having done all you know to do, just stand. 
What are we doing? I'm just, I don't know which way to go, but I'm going to stop. I'm going to hang in there. I'm going to hold on. Now, I don't know. After 65 years of marriage, have my folks ever reached a point where they just had to hold on? You might have to do that to make it 65 years. What are you saying? I'm saying, what, a, what an hour in which you say, Lord, I'm not letting you go. Everything else I can let go. Everything else, this world is not my home, but I'm hanging on to you. Let's stand.